Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Son Gray. My guest today is Mr. Roy Dudley, founder and owner of Roy Dudley Estate Sales in Little Rock, Arkansas. We've all heard about children who at an early age are lucky enough to discover their passion and have a knack for entrepreneurship. Well, this was Roy Dudley, who grew up accompanying his parents to auctions and as early as elementary school began collecting and had a good eye for selling his funds. His career in treasure hunting was not always on a straight and narrow path. For a time, the younger Roy worked as an account executive at Blue Cross Blue Shield. But on the weekends, he kept his thumb on the pulse of the antique business with booths at local malls, quaint antique shops, and an occasional small-scale estate sale. It was in 2006 that Roy took the entrepreneurial leap of faith and began to concentrate solely on his Roy Dudley estate sale business. Today, he has a warehouse full of treasures for sale. He provides estate appraisals and has an estate mediation services that we're going to learn all about today. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> it is a pleasure to welcome to the table the collector, appraiser, and dealer extraordinaire, Mr. Roy Dudley. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be here. So you began collecting at early as eight years old? Uh, probably a little bit earlier, about six. And uh, I didn't really start collecting. It's, it's really an interesting story. As, uh, my mother and father decided they were going to build a replica of an 1850s Arkansas cabin. And they wanted it to be authentic. They wanted to be hewn logs, handmade shingles. They wanted everything authentic to the 1850s. So they hired a man to build this cabin on our farm. And my mother decided to go to auctions to buy things to fill the cabin with authentic primitive antiques that would be would have been in the house in 1850. So she wasn't a collector? She was not a collector. She liked antiques. So we started going to farm auctions in Washington and Madison County, Arkansas. And she would say, I want a wood cook stove. And pretty soon, uh, she would get a wood cook stove for $5. And then the next week, there'd be another wood cook stove. And pretty soon, she would have eight to 10 wood cook stoves or pie safes or kitchen cabinets. And they got stored in the barn. So she sort of became the lady that people from Fayetteville will come out to our farm outside Fayetteville and buy furniture from her. So while she was doing that, of course, I was going to the auctions with her. And she would say, here's $20. You know, you can bid on things too. So I maybe would buy the contents of a porch or the contents of a kitchen. And I would have fun playing with it and setting up camp or whatever I was going to do. Well, my mother had an older sister who had what we call a perpetual yard sale. Oh, there's a lot of those. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. She was on Highway 71 outside Fayetteville. Anyone that went to a Razorback game probably went by her yard sale. So she had this yard sale and she found out I was buying things at the auctions. And she said, okay, bring some stuff and set up with me at the yard sale. So she, my Aunt Hazel, her name was Hazel. And I would bring this box and she would say, okay, how much did you pay for the box and contents? And I would say, I paid $6 for this box. And she would say, okay. And she'd root around in the box and she would pull out an item and maybe it was a lamp. And she would say, okay, I'm gonna put $6 on this lamp. And when the lamp sells, your inventory is paid for. And we were gonna keep track of that box by assigning it an initial. 
for R for Roy. So everything in that box was $6. That was my inventory cost. And we would tag and sell those things. And she goes, at the end of the weekend, we'll see how much you made off your $6 investment. And maybe I made $45 off that $6 investment. To a six to eight year old kid, hey, that's that's bucks. Yeah. So, but also what she was doing, she was teaching me a fabulous lesson in business and economics, uh, profit, profit, how everything works. And at the end of the weekend, she really taught me a strong lesson, and that was, okay, we've worked for me all weekend long. You've made forty five dollars off your six dollar investment. You have, you know, thirty nine dollars profit. Right you're going to pay me 20% because I gave you the venue to sell your items. Oh, <laughs> so she, she taught me all about the inventory costs, the cost of doing business, you know, placing the ad, running the ad, and then working the sale and selling, and then paying her for using her, her expertise and her options of having the sale. So that was my first lesson. And it just, that. And you were six or eight years old? Probably six to eight, yeah. I was third and fourth grade, so whatever age that is, probably seven. So yeah. 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 About eight years old. Yeah, and and so that was that was just a lesson, and that just parlayed into a fever, really. You know, it's a chance to, to make money. I mean, all the other kids were like, "I'm mowing Mr. So and So's yard, or I'm raking leaves, so I'm making six dollars." I'm like, "Yeah, I made fifty bucks this weekend." <laughs> you know, so I, I've got it going on. So, so how'd you? So your mother kept taking you. Kept, to, kept taking me to auctions, and then pretty soon I started badgering to go to auctions. So we would go to auctions or estate sales or whatever venue to buy things, and and just go to yard sales and have a good time and buy these things. I continued selling with Aunt Hazel. Um, went to college. Got, all the way through. All the college, way through. Fl- and and I started selling to my mother, my mother's friends, antique dealers I knew. I would sell things to them and making money this whole time. Well, I got out of college and it was the 80s. And anyone that, that had a son in the 80s knows how high our auto insurance was. It was a little different insurance market then. And boys were a higher rate, rate, ranking. So our auto insurance was really high. So out of college, I moved to Little Rock from Fayetteville and I went to work at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And my insurance premiums were crazy high. And uh, I wasn't a bad driver. They were just high for my age bracket. And you were driving, you had already moved a little while. Yeah, I removed a little So I was trying to make money. So I started going to local estate sales and once again, buying oh. things and reselling. And pretty soon I had a, a mentor. I've, I've been lucky in my life to have a lot of mentors who've taught me lessons and, and just informed me about business and, and just I really listened to them. And my very first mentor, besides my mother and my aunt Hazel, was John Banks in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And he was a, a renowned antiques dealer. And I moved to Little Rock. I was buy, going to estate sales, buying stuff, and I was selling to John. And John said, Do you know, I really appreciate you selling these things to me. And I, I love that opportunity. But I think you should try to sell your things locally. So there was. Oh, a, so get out of wholesale, get into Get out of wholesale, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, which is a very smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I rented a booth in one of the local antique malls. And uh, that spawned it all. So while I was working at Blue Cross, I had a secondary business in An antique antiques. Mall. So and, you spent your weekends going over there and. Yeah. Restocking. Well, I actually spent the weekend shopping and then and then spending a little bit of time Saturday or Sunday afternoon restocking the booth and making it look good because they're a, it's a manned facility. You know, you rent a space and you just put the items in and price it, and then there's a main desk where the purchases are, are, are made. That's a lot of work. Yeah, but, you know, it was a, a good money. you got to love it. it I absolutely. I love 
antiques. I love my job. I always have. It's something that, that I always enjoy doing. And while I enjoy my job at Blue Cross and I was good at my job, it wasn't what I was meant to do. And I think we all, yeah, we all know that businesses, we have our gift and, and that my gift is definitely, you know, with antiques. So what made you decide to leave, leave Blue Cross Blue Shield? I did not make that decision. I worked for <laughs> Yeah, I worked for a subsidiary of Blue Cross, which was called U.S. Able Systems. And we sell computer software packages to other Blue Cross plans, which is already a very limited market, you know, 50 plans in America or oh, less. Really? Okay. So um, the subsidiary I worked for, Blue Cross, the parent company, decided to close us down in 2000. And at that point, I was 36. And I thought, oh, I can go on into Alltel, Axiom, other same top arenas. Uh, Blue Cross of Oregon offered me a chance to go back there. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to wing this and do something myself. I'm, I'm really frustrated working for a company where I don't get to make the rules. And I want to see if I can do what my passion is. And my goal was to find a way to make a living out of being Roy Dudley, not being Roy Dudley, the software person, the account manager, Roy Dudley, anything. I wanted to make a living out of my passion, which was antiques and sharing that knowledge and meeting the people getting out in the trenches and working with that. And that's what I wanted to do. So I said, I'm going to work and try to make a living out of being myself. And here we are in 2018 and seven people make a full-time living out of Roy Dudley. I have oh, seven, really? yeah, seven employees. I have full time I employees. Had no idea. So yeah, so you know, so basically, my dream of being self sufficient and doing my passion has parlayed into a business. Into helping other people too. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I have a, a, a great job. Yeah. Great job. All right, this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Roy Dudley, founder of Roy Dudley Estate Sales. We'll talk about antiques, how to tell a good one from a reproduction, about the do's and don'ts of restoration. I don't know if y'all heard about the Ming vase that was recently turned into a lamp. We'll talk about that. Over the years, Roy Dudley has been a frequent guest on KARK Channel 4, talking about different items he's found in estate sales. Here's a couple examples. We are talking about Southern Pottery face jugs. These are very interesting. I've never really seen anything like it. I know. Well, they're, they're handmade, and this is probably one of the earliest forms of folk art in the American South. And uh, it's really interesting. There's a, a group of folk art that, that originated with African Americans making these in the Carolinas, and they were effigy jugs and maybe even made as grave markers for, for someone, and the faces were made to look like someone. As uh, the South migrated, it moved on up into Appalachia, and a lot of potters started making these as whimsical jugs that were just grotesque and not meant really to look like anyone, more like demonic and spiritual uh, evil spirits to hold evil spirits, and to talk, hold spirits. Talk about the person that collected these that you're doing. These came for. out of a very beautiful, normal, elegant Heights home. Here's another example of Roy's knowledge about antiques. Vintage jewelry is just gorgeous, and really, it you know, it has stories behind it, all these pieces. And cinnamon and energy mm -hmm. and all of that. These pieces all are considered fine jewelry. Nothing is costume. They are all gem quality, diamonds, emeralds, uh, sapphires, uh, tanzanites. It's, it's they're, uh, early as we have a 1920s brooch that someone made into an Omega necklace, uh, an Art Deco 1930s emerald and diamond bracelet, amethyst, uh, 
tanzanite, great stuff. And um, all from a collection of a lady here locally, and we're selling it for her family, and it's just fabulous jewelry. Here is a, a Swiss watch. It's a Petit Philippe. Uh, this watch uh, wow. would retail for $35,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Back with more from Carrie McCoy and Roy Dudley in a moment. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag & Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting from door-to-door -door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now, FlagAndBanner.com relies heavily on the internet and live chats with customers all over the world. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge has grown. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into podcasts, Facebook live stream, and YouTube videos of this radio show. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at FlagandBanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. The FlagandBanner.com. Back to this week's Up In Your Business interview with Carrie McCoy, this week's guest, Roy Dudley from Roy Dudley Estates. How exactly does an estate sale get underway? Here's Roy and Carrie. Okay, so go ahead and say, they call you up and say, Roy, I need to run. My house is empty. I need to get out of here. And, you know, sometimes they want a house-based sale where we have a sale in, in the neighborhood in the house, or we may need to move the items, and then we either move them A to our showroom or B to the warehouse. So, and if it goes to the warehouse, how long does it sit there? Uh, we try to get it out within two to three months. But, you know, sometimes... So you have that much warehouse that turns over every two to three months? Yes. It, it, is, it is phenomenal the amount of things that go through Roy Dudley Estate Sales hands. How it's, many employees did you say you had? We have seven full-time employees, and we have a pool of about 15 part-timers that can help. So you just call them in and say... Say, well, you know, maybe it's like... Oh, we had a sale a few years ago in uh, Greenbrier. We had to call in anyone that could do any form of appraising. We've got movers. We've got people who clean, uh, pricers. I have a lot of people who have a decorating event that can help me decorate with the stuff. So, is there something you're exceptionally good at finding and collecting? I have a, I have a sort of an innate ability of understanding what Carrie McCoy wants and remembering what she wants. Really? So it's it's a it's a it's a neat ability, but I can say, uh, I mean, we're we're processing stuff, and, and the whole staff and, and all the customers should not laugh about it because I can pull a, a teapot out and say, oh, Carrie McCoy's going to buy this, and everyone laughs, and then Carrie McCoy comes in and buys the teapot. So I ha that's that's sort of my ability. I also have a good ability to tell an antique and a fake I can I, that's a, a let's talk about that how do you do that well you know it depends on what different item it is and, and the one thing I like to clear up for maybe the novice to know is for an antique has to be 100 years old to be qualified for an antique right so uh, a lot of people who say they are antiques dealers or an antique mall 
or something, they may not necessarily be selling antiques. So as a customer, you need to know that. They're, they're more like periods. Right, like they're exa- buying the 50s. Right, right exactly. Yeah, something from the 50s is highly collectible, yes. but it's not an antique. Correct. It's vintage. Uh, so basically, you know, there's with each category, um, you know, you can tell with paper, if it's, if, if it's a, an, a, a piece of vintage paper, it's going to be over 100 years old. It's going to have a rag content, which means it has some fabric mixed in with the pulp to, ha- to give the paper a different feel. Construction, you know, as far as the techniques inside the drawers, underneath... Uh, everyone looks at the exterior of a table and think, oh, that's the great thing. I can tell you more about the table by looking underneath it or underneath a chair. You can tell more about the construction, the age, but not necessarily the finish and the appearance, but the construction. And that's going to tell you, you a lot. Are you self-taught on all of that? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, you know, self-taught to some degree. You know, John Banks was a phenomenal influence for me. I talked about him being the infamous, the late John Banks, a great Fayetteville antiques dealer who I apprenticed with by his side for three or four years, and he taught me incredible things about that. There are other dealers who always share their knowledge. Um, and then, of course, perusing uh, antique valuation guides, uh, coffee table books. I'm constantly you, you looking. Watch, you watch the Antique Roadshow? I don't watch the Antiques Roadshow very much. I, I do. That, that's <laughs> actually, that's, you talk about something like, you know, getting up and going to an estate sale does not make me nervous, but watching the Antiques Roadshow makes Why? me nervous. Why? I don't know. It just, it, it's, I guess, I guess maybe I'm so excited and I, I, I also don't want ever to disappoint a person. And I think sometimes the valuations they give are a little bit unrealistic. So running an antique store sounds really hard. So when Run, running an antique store yes. sounds really hard, and you did that before you were Royal. Yes, yes, yeah. I had, I've had, I've had three antique shops here in Little Rock. A lot of people don't remember that, but I've had, I've had two shops on Cavanaugh and one on Cantrell, and and it's a, it's a different world. It's a slower pace. Yeah, uh, and you've got to turn that merchandise over and get. The reason for people to come into the door, they want to they want to see you. They want to buy something from the owner, and they want your merchandise to change and be new. And that that's, that would be my advice. And to, you got to be there. Did you have Did you keep it open eight to five Monday through Friday? Or, uh, or I was I was eleven to eleven to five uh, Tuesday Tuesday through Saturday. I was closed Sunday and Monday. Because you had to have time to go shopping. Had had the time to go shopping, but it, it, it's it's a commitment. It's a big commitment. Um, and you know, people lo- love to shop with the owner. They want to talk with you. So if you were going to give advice to a collector who wants to support his habit, which is right. a lot of people have these habits. Right. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, do, I do know that. I do see, I see, yeah. I see some, some uh, uh, habits. Do you recommend getting an antique, a booth at an antique mall to uh, yeah. kind of push your stuff out the door so that you can turn it over a little bit? Yeah. The one thing I think that most really serious collectors do wind up dealers. But I think the one thing to do is to, to learn, and that is, that is to talk to other dealers watch what people are buying, watch shoppers, check in. Now we have, we're so blessed to have Facebook and Instagram and a million other things that you can actually get your finger on the pulse of what people are talking about, what's generating buzz that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, watch your auction sites, eBay, uh, One King's Lane, First Dibs, look at all those places and learn from those those. Uh, other dealers learn that uh, and I think a booth is a good place to start but also go in realistically and know that just you know the there's a, a people say if I pay $50 for this I want them to double my money that's not always an option you know that I that's, would think that's not very much not very don't much don't you have to pay the 
the flea market? Right, and th that's what some people say. People come to me and they say, hey, I've made my rent this month, I've made money. No, you haven't. You've lost money because you've got your cost of inventory, you have your insurance, you have your taxes, you have your, your, your space rental. So, you know, there's a lot of factors besides just making your space rental money. Do you compete with people that don't have business permits? Yes, that, that is, you know, that you do. And, and that, I would that's think that would be big in your industry. People would not get business permits. Well, and that's something that we've talked a lot about the estate sale industry. The auction world is regulated by standards and ethics and, and rules. The estate sale liquidator world is not. You know, technically anyone can throw their hand out there and say, I'm doing an estate sale. But, you know, um, you need to, to be educated, have a license, so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think this is a great place for us to take another break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Roy Dudley, founder of Roy Dudley Estate Sales. We'll have him explain the do's and don'ts of antiquing and restoring because restoration is a big deal. I know you're not supposed to restore a lot of stuff. And we'll talk more about the business of treasure hunting. Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. McCoy began this broadcast with the intention of offering a mentoring platform for those with an entrepreneurial spirit. Through candid conversations and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. Well, in addition to appearing on this program, Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, Roy Dudley makes frequent appearances on Channel 4, KARK-TV, to talk about estate sales that he's currently involved with. Here's a few examples of his knowledge. Uh, at the 1931 World Series, Babe Ruth was not there as a player, but was there attending the World Series. Mm -hmm. And he signed this as an autograph. We found it in an estate in a trunk of memorabilia. Wow. So that some little boy had it from the 1930s. So Babe Ruth signed it. Very rare program. Rare that he signed it. Uh, it's been authenticated and uh, it sells for $3,500. We have a selection of pottery, and this is Rookwood pottery. These three pieces are Rookwood pottery. It's okay. from Cincinnati, Ohio. And the interesting thing about Rookwood, each piece in Roman rules is dated the year that it was made. So this oh, piece was made neat. in 1922. Okay. So each piece is dated. We have modern art glass, uh, probably about a couple years old, but by an artisan, very pretty, in mm -hmm. the style of Tiffany. And then, once again, in our memorabilia category, we have a Sun record. And then Elvis started on Sun Label, so did Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. And this is an original Johnny Cash record from the 50s on Sun Label. The gentleman was and his wife were originally from California, and he was the sort of the original Madman character. He wrote ad jingles, and while they were living the good life in L.A., they lived in Homby Hills and in Hancock Park. They uh, accumulated really fascinating antiques. They followed and were obsessed with all religions in life, so their books and their, their, their possessions reflect stuff. So we've got, you know, a 16th century Dutch painting, wow. a 20th century Tibetan mask, uh, we've got um, a 
cigar caddy. This is a Dutch clock. This is a, a reproduction of a probably 17th century Dutch clock, but from the 19th century. Fine crystal china. It's just an amazing sale, and it's amazing to come see the stuff and get in the person's head mm -hmm, and live their life. We'll find out more about how Roy Dudley has accumulated such a wealth of knowledge as the program continues up in your business with Carrie McCoy. Before the break, we were talking about you. Well, we don't, I don't know if we want to go all the way back. <laughs> we, we talked about you starting your business when you were learning capitalism when you were eight years old from Aunt Hazel. And then we talked about you leaving the corporate world and going out on your own. And, right. and like so many entrepreneurs say, you spent two years... Yes. Putting your money back into your business. Yes. Every, I did the same thing. Yeah. I think that you just need to be prepared to do that. Yes. I, I think it's interesting that you even use part of your IRA and retirement to do it. That means you are really committed. I was committed, yeah. You were really committed. And you st when you left Blue Cross Blue Shield, you started out with antique stores. Right. Uh, antique malls. Yes. Which you always kept all your life. Uh -huh. And then antique, got serious with antique stores. And you had to spend your weekends running around finding these Friend, treasures. Right. So it's a exactly. seven-day-a-week job. Yes, absolutely. All the time. Absolutely. And somewhere in there, you decided, you were also doing small estate sales, but somewhere in yes. there you decided to get out of a retail storefront and go strictly into Roy Dudley estate sales. Right. How did that come about? Well, it, it came about in a very odd way. And I think that we talk about how businesses grow organically. Yeah. And, uh, I was doing just small estate sales in homes, and everything was was growing great. And uh, someone, there was a, a gift shop in the Heights that went out of business, and uh, the, the lady, uh, etc. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, actually, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, uh, Samuel, Lila Samuel passed away. Oh, okay. And I'm going to give them a, a great amount of credit, Mr. Samuel, for sort of inspiring me and going on. Um, he called me, he said, "Roy, my wife has passed away, and we're needing to liquidate the shop." And we have a few things of hers from the house that we want to sell. Would you be interested in doing a sale in our retail environment? And I was like, and he said, and she's got some friends who want to sell some stuff. And I was like, well, you know, sure, I'll do that. And that afternoon, my phone rang 17 times from 17 people who wanted to sell a few things. They didn't want a house-based to sell. Maybe they didn't have enough for a house-based to sell, but they had things they wanted to sell. So they heard I was doing a sale in the Excedra building. So 30 consigners later, we had a sale in the Excedra building in the Heights. It was a great success. Organically, I thought, hey, there's a market for people who maybe don't have enough to have a whole house-based estate sale. So we started what we call our showroom, which is an empty room like this, mm -hmm. and 30 people bring stuff in, we decorate it, keep their initials straight, just like Aunt Hazel. So you know, here we are, grown up, I'm still doing what Aunt Hazel did, <laughs> which is tagging things with initials, and we're selling things for other people. And that parlayed into the bulk of our business. And doing our showroom sales, and our showroom is at Cantrell, Mississippi, and that's you know each one of those sales probably has thirty consigners. So you just kind of let your lease run out on your buildings mm -hmm. on, and took all that stuff yep. and moved it in. Yeah, I just I just decided you know this is um, I can't do the antiques business justice. I'm not out there finding stuff. I'm not in the shop enough to take care of the people. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to go to estate sales, and estate sales are really great for me because um, I meet lots of new shoppers. Yeah, I meet lots of new consumers honors and the stuff when a shop can get stale you get tired of it within the state sale it all goes away within a matter of three weeks so it's not you know 
is you, you don't get tired of your inventory. It's a great situation. For but you me. have to move it around yes. all the time. Yes, and I, that, mean, I see you. That's, uh, that's yeah. the cost. You know, I have to. I have to. And, and a good example is if you call me and said, "Well, I need to sell this stuff in my house," I'm going to come to your house and visit you. I'm going to send, come back with my guys, or my guys are going to come and they're going to pack your things up. So they're going to touch it, pack it up. It's going to go on our truck where it falls under my insurance policy. It's going to be moved to our Tanglewood location where I'm going to pay someone to unpack it. We're going to clean it. We're going to tag it. We're going to arrange it and make it look pretty with everybody else's stuff. Then we're going to have a public sale which I will pay for advertising. I'm paying the lease on the building. And then we're going to carry, when, when someone else comes in and they want to buy something, we're going to carry it to the cashier. We're going to wrap it. We're going to record it so the proper consigners are paid and we're going to carry it out the door. That's a lot of steps. So it's a lot of steps and a lot of, of You've got to of trust involvement. your people. Oh, I have the best employees, but yes, you do have to trust your people, and, and and to some degree, the customers have to trust us completely too. That a that we're going to take care of their stuff, and that we know what we're doing, that we're going to sell it for a fair so amount. So, how often do you open up your warehouse? We open the, the warehouse up about every six weeks, and our warehouse sales run three weekends. So we have a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend where everything is full price close, reopen the next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everything is 20% off, close, reopen the third weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everything is 50% off. At the end of that cycle, someone, I have a wholesaler who comes and buys everything that's left, the building is empty, we start all over again. So our the inventory that the customer sees of Roy Dudley will change every, every six Every three months? Yeah, every six weeks. So the, yeah, it changes every six weeks. I am so yeah, and impressed. I had no idea. No one, no one really is. And, and, and it's when you think, we probably go around 350 consigners so in a year. So in one year, I'm dealing with roughly 350 individuals or families that we deal with. So that's sort of how our business works. And and the showroom sales, we still do house-based sales because there are people who that's may want- That's where I always yeah. see. Well, and you, you tell the great story because I was doing like sales all around your personal house and you said, I'm nailing my furniture down, you're getting too close. Because, <laughs> because I've done like three sales around you. But we still do house-based sales, but there are more and more instances where people, new home buyers maybe don't want someone in the house. Uh, maybe people live in a gated community, the neighborhoods where they have covenants where you can't have sales. There are lots of reasons that people don't want to have a sale in the house anymore. And that's where our showroom really takes off and helps out. Part of the fun of coming your sales in the houses, though, is to see, see the, the house. house. I He's went to one of your shows a month ago downtown across yes. the Yes. Oh, beautiful Mansion. house. Beautiful house. And it sold, I saw the other day. Yeah, it sold actually the, the night before the sale. Oh, it did? Yeah. But no, that's uh, that's part of it. And a lot of people do love to see the houses. And that that's a charm. And, and, and the one thing, when someone calls me, I'm going to be able to give them advice and saying, we're going to make more money if we can do the sale of your stuff out of the house, where people will be curious to come see the house, or, or, or it sets a real personality. Or maybe it's just best to add it into a showroom. And a lot of people want confidentiality from selling their stuff. You know, a lot of people want, don't yeah. want people to know they're selling their things. It's a Yeah. So yeah. when you go into one of your sales, even if it's in somebody's home, you mm -hmm. may have brought stuff in from another. We, we place. very rarely do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, most everything with our showroom, we we would take the things into our showroom with a house space to sell. We're going to keep everything that's in the house, not, not bring other stuff in. That's kind of easier to keep up with because you don't have to yes. keep with. A, with it is a nightmare. Plus, if you're going, if I'm going to represent you, I want to bring your stuff into a three weekend sale, not a three day sale. And what a sensitive subject. 
What? It's such a sensitive subject. Oh. I mean, Grandma has just died, it's, and it, all the kids want her yeah. stuff. How <laughs> yes. do you deal with that? Well, it's you know, it, I, and I, it's something I tell all of our, my staff. We we reiterate it to each other all the time, but we particularly are focused on with our new employees. But we come to end someone's life at a very emotional time. You know, the easiest situation we come to is a move. Maybe you're moving and you've got stuff you want to sell. We come in and everyone knows moves aren't easy. And we come in in divorces and bankruptcies and mm. deaths and you know and you emotions. You a in psychology? I should. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> and, me, and mediation. But you know, the one thing people need to remember is just because you, you love your grandmother, you love your mother, and, and as we all should, but you don't have to have their possession to have that memory. You just need one of them. You don't need all yeah, of them. You know, you don't have to. I, don't burden yourself with that. You still have your memory just because you don't have the punch bowl. You still remember grandma's punch. <laughs> That's right. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah. How do you what uh, what percentages about do you normally take off of something like uh, that? We we 50%? are percent. Uh, no, 50%? We, we are somewhere between 35 and 50% depending on the estate yeah, I mean, after and the I, location. After I list, listen to all the steps yeah. you have in there and all the people you have yeah. to pay and the insurance and the yeah taxes I, and the moving it around and all right. of that. Workers comp. I know. Things that we don't think about that, that you have to have. What's the best thing you've ever found? Is there one thing that sticks out in your mind? <laughs> the one thing that sticks out in my mind is a little bit of a story, but I think we have a bit of a time. Um, we were doing a sale for a very old family here in Little Rock, and uh, the, they had actually built the house in 1870, and it was some out-of-state heirs, and they called and they said, um, would you come out and look at our sale? We, we'd be interested in you doing it. So I drove out and met them, and when I pulled in front of the house, there was a dumpster in front of the house, and it was one that you rented from Lowe's, and they would come haul it away. And it was full of all this stuff, and I went in the house, I met the nieces and nephew, and I said, what's in the dumpster? And they said, oh, we cleaned the attic out this morning. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. And they're like, well, we already have Lowe's coming to pick the dumpster up. And I said, well, would you mind if I brought my guys out and we pull the dumpster under the carport and then we'll still call them, but give me a chance to go through the dumpster first. And they're like, sure. So we go through the dumpster and what we didn't know, and they didn't tell me, which the best part of my job is being a detective. So we're in this dumpster and we're going through and we find this binder. And what we discovered that we knew we were working for their maiden aunt that had never married. Well, there were two sisters who never married in this family and they stayed in the family home and they were emptying their things out of the attic. And one of the sisters was an art teacher and she taught art at the Rower uh, internment camp in Rower, Arkansas for the Japanese Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she taught art there every summer and she saved, I'm getting chill bumps talking about it, she saved all of the children's art and she had a journal for every day she was there in the camp and what was going on and the people's names and the personal art that the kids drew and also that adults drew because the classes were for everyone. So there's just this incredible capsule of, of a sad time of America and it's this capsule An and I'm proud time. to say that collection is now in the University of Arkansas and we were able to pull out of a dumpster and get it to people so that everyone can enjoy it. And that's one of the finds I'm most proud of is the fact that we pulled something out of its imminent death. It was going to the dump and it got to where everyone can enjoy it and everyone can sort of see what was going on in those people's everyday life. It's a historically significant. Yeah, it was, it was very significant and, and it was great that we had a part in that. I love that. Yeah. Let's take another break. 
Uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Roy Dudley, founder of Roy Dudley Estate Sales. We'll talk about restoration, the do's and don'ts, because somebody turned a mean vase into a lamp. We're going to ask him about that. Fascinating program. More from Roy Dudley's many visits to Channel 4 KARK, talking about things at estate sales. We were asked to liquidate a collection of European paintings that were purchased in mostly in Paris. There's about 150 to 200, and they're all uh, from the late 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, they're all beautifully framed, restored, ready to go. And in the collection, we found this Virginia McKimmy, and she is a Little Rock, a modern, current Little Rock artist that's very popular, and we found a Virginia McKimmy in the same collection. So the person's taste led to that late 19th century, early 20th, but they also have a lot of mid-century, modern paintings, a lot, just a really interesting art collection. And then amongst the art, we have uh, Limoges boxes, Heron figures and this is a, a coin silver ladle and coin silver is a little bit less silver than sterling it's the same level of silver that a coin would be made out of it was very popular pre-civil war and this ladle dates somewhere between 1841 and 1861 wow yeah and it's in great shape and it was made in cincinnati ohio We've got great news from the Dreamland Ballroom. Dancing into Dreamland is back for the 11th year. That's right, 11th annual Dancing into Dreamland happens on February 12, 2022. They're changing up the formula a bit with a Valentine's Gala right there in the Dreamland Ballroom. Don't worry, all the things you love about the long-standing fundraiser are still in the mix. A real night of revelry in the centenarian structure, culminating around a friendly dance competition. Food, drink, a silent auction. Attendees will have the pleasure of viewing several spectacular dances, and varying genres will fill the night. You'll be able to vote for your favorites via text. It's a very fun evening. Dancing into Dreamland. And not the least important thing is it's a terrific fundraiser for this extraordinary historic venue. A panel of celebrity judges will pick their favorite act, and they'll be awarded a special cash prize. Dancing into Dreamland is back, February 2022. Before we went to break, we were talking about the business of uh, estate sales, and I think it's fascinating how many steps you have to go through. Yes. Uh, we talked about the psychology of working with the families. That's a big deal. And then we talked about how, what I like about the state sale business is you don't have any inventory. All no. the inventory is is your what, equipment. Yeah, and I'll the inventory belongs to someone else. Yeah, I love that consignment. Yeah. I guess you'd call yeah, it. Yeah, it's all consignment. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then we talked about how much work goes into getting ready for right. an estate sale. You've got to go, of course, go get make the sale, look at the stuff, right. Right. then box it up gingerly and gingerly, gingerly correctly. and correctly and take it back to your place right. clean it label it price it then either move it again or display it in a way right um, attractively uh-huh and then you have to keep up with uh who's who, who where it who came belongs. from who it belongs to so you can pay the right. consignment money right. back and play to the them. consignment back to the people exactly yeah, so and, it's, and, it's and then the one, the one thing we haven't entered which is one of my favorite parts of the business is dealing with the public you know, because you don't know. You what's, like that part? I do, because you don't know what's going to walk in the door. I mean, a circus well, may a circus sure. may walk in the door, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I like that. I like people. So, it, but you know, you, you are also dealing with a variable of the public. Oh yeah, you are. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing it for forty-two years, yeah, and that's when you have to remember that customer service. Those 
customer service mantras, and you know, and that's what allows us to have a business. Are those people walking in? And the I door. tell you, well, that it's better face to face because I yes. do a lot of email and internet, and mm. man, they get on those emails sometimes, and well, they can be crazy a little bit. Well, and 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 of course, in our world of seeing, you know, social media has changed everything too. And I and I get comments on social media posts that, in reality, they would never do. Uh, they would oh, never no one say. would ever say those things. I, that's kind yeah. of bizarre. Yeah. So let's talk about restoring something. Okay. This drives okay. me crazy. Okay. It drives me crazy that people buy stuff, sand it down, right. and put new varnish on it. Well, Is that or, right or wrong? Well, and now particularly, you know, it's the chalk painting phase. So people are What's painting that mean? everything. Well, they, they, there's a paint that that has a, a chalk formula mixed in it, and everyone is painting these sort of milk paint weathered pieces. And and I'm selling a ton of furniture, traditional furniture that people are painting that may have a wood finish when it leaves me, but in a few weeks it's going to have a painted finish. Painted furniture comes in and yes, out Yes, and it, of right style. now it's very in. So I don't even a, feel like antiques are really popular right now, do you? No, they're not. They're not. I mean, there was a time. Those, well, the 80s and 90s when I had those booths in that shop, that was the time. Oak now, tables were the craze. Yeah, oh, everyone wanted really everything. You could sell most anything then. Now it's a really, it's a harder market. Um, and antiques aren't in favor they still have value they just don't have the value of what you may have paid for them in the 80s or 90s yeah because people are liking modern furniture they are and also you have to realize that we're, we're now, i'm now liquidating the baby boomer generation of stuff and that's the largest generation in america so there maybe there's there right now there's such a saturation of goods on the market from people downsizing oh, there's yeah. such a huge downsizing phase and their kids don't want it the kids want modern or maybe they want minimal or they you know Minimalism they want is so in right well they want as a good friend of mine in st louis told me which he was very astute and very wise he said they all want an antique and, and one one yeah. yeah they want the great antique in their dining room they don't want an antique dining room they want just one thing that everyone says oh that's neat it's an old bicycle great um on rest, restoring antiques, I have a, 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 a different theory. There's an intellectual, um, educated theory, and then there's the live with theory. And I, my, I go to, you have to live with your antiques. The, that's the beauty of having antiques, is that you get to enjoy it and live with it. And you need to modify that to your life. Now, 90% of the things that we see that people call as antiques are not antiques. So. Do the new finish, paint them, live with them. But there are antiques that have the original finish. Drilling a vase is not good. People do things to metals and silver. Always just consult with someone who knows something before you yeah. do it and say, hey, it's, I get people calling me all the time. They're saying, hey, I have this this dresser. Is it? Should I refinish it? And that's a five-minute question for me, and I'm always happy to answer those. Oh, because, that's nice. Yeah, because, How do people call you? Yeah. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, they get in touch with me. They can They can call. We have two business numbers, 501-666-1344. That was so fast. Yeah, 501-666-58. Uh, we'll 56. put that on Flag and Banner's yeah, website with yeah. your podcast, so if anybody yeah. wants it, we'll put the link there. Thank you. And Thank you, you said there was another number. Uh, and, and my cell phone, 590 You don't need to give your cell phone out. Oh, it's all, they all roll the one number. They do? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I want. I have found in my business that people want to talk to me. I've had employees that monitor phones. I've had other people try to take over the phones. But basically, that's the most important job, and that's the face of our company, and that's talking to those new customers, talking to those existing customers, and maybe even talking to someone who's not a customer. That's that's the most important job for a business owner is to be that face of that business. You have a lot of repeat business. Your oh, word of yes. mouth is huge. Yeah, it's huge, and I'm I'm very proud to say now I'm working with three generations. There are some families that I've worked with liquidating the grandmother stuff. I've worked with the mother. I'm working with the daughter. You know, and it's, it's, it's pleasing to know that people are coming back generational. If you could tell yourself something of 20 years ago, what would it be? Uh, That's a hard one. Be more selective in everything in life. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I love that. But I, th I think probably I would probably have uh, slowed down a little bit, um, work hard in your business, getting your business built, and then be selective of where your business goes. That you don't need to please everyone; you need to please yourself. That's right. You can't please everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I and and I was going to ask you who was probably left the biggest impression in your life, and you know who 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 is who's the person that kind of made you who you are today. Is it Hazel or Bass? Well, uh, or your parents, I guess. Uh, well, you know, uh, everyone, all parents different parents phases. Parents, Aunt Hazel was instrumental. John Banks, uh, a Banks. lady in town, Adrian Cockrell, who did estate sales, has given me numeral uh, crazy advice. June Blankenship, the late June Blankenship. Yeah. They all have shared their knowledge, and that's something I work really hard. I want to share my knowledge with someone new. Oh, I love it. So I'll put a link to how to get in touch with Wonderful. you on, Wonderful. and I'll share it with you. And we have a gift for coming on since you do wow. antiques. This was a kind of an antique uh, license plate. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much. Welcome. From flagandbanner.com. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I thank love, you so much, love being here. Before we end the program, let's go one more time to the Channel 4 KARK Studios, where Roy Dudley Estate Sales is a frequent visitor. This is a authentic painting of a, a, a Scottish lord, probably from wow. about 1820. This is an 1890s, 1880s British uniform. We have a sword from about the same time period. You went inside this man's home in Fayetteville who just had an a really interesting life. He's he the one that wrote jingles, is that right? Right, he wrote jingles for advertising and, you know, was successful. And from the 50s on, he bought these things at auction. And what the really neat part for me as sort of a detective that I get to play, the daughter gave me a giant folder of all the receipts and all the appraisals wow. he had done over the years. So I can actually go back through and I can see that he bought this in 1958 and maybe he paid $400 for it. But then in 1968, it was appraised for 1278 wow. 2400 and you could just see the price of the antiques increase and just really get the history of this stuff and that's not something I get to see very often I would love to talk to these people I would love to visit with this man mm -hmm. and find out what was the cusp of this collection what prompted the British officer theme and you know what what really drive what was what was the driving force behind his collection this is a piece of nylok swirl pottery. Nylok was made in Benton, Arkansas, and it's made of a type of clay called kaolin. Kaolin spelled backwards is nylok, and that's how they got their name. They started in the uh, business in the early 1900s, and I think they ended up probably in the 40s or 50s going out. The mission swirl was most popular in the teens and the 20s and the 30s. This is an abnormally large piece. It's 25 inches tall, most likely, a floor vase, an umbrella stand, something like that. 
it's really interesting. They actually took the different color clays, and as they as they made the vase, you know, you would have to stick your hand in and make the vase. The clays mixed, and it created this mission swirl. Wow! And you can date the mission swirl by the colors. Earlier pieces maybe only used one or two colors, but the later pieces used multiple colors. We have a piece of rookwood pottery from Ohio. It's signed and painted by the artist, 1930s. And then, of course, everybody's favorite piece. We have what is not a slot machine. This is called a trade stimulator. And basically, it works just like a slot machine. You put a coin in, and instead of getting coins out, you would get a prize. You would get a token for a free candy bar, a free cigar, or something like that. This was a gentleman. He lived in Mount Ida, Arkansas. And we have items from his personal estate, his business, and his storage. And he just collected the odd and the unusual. And today we'll totally dispel the rumor that an estate sells only mammal glassware right. and things like that. A 1970s Cardinals team baseball uh -oh. signed by all the Cardinals in the 1970s. Uh, we have a weaving, that's a Pennsylvania weaving, uh, woven by a girl in the 1840s. It's a little fragment, but from the 1840s. Candy containers. Okay. And at Christmas or at Easter, you would have had candy in here as a little treat. Jelly beans, some little fun things. So what year was this made, you said? 40s. 40s. So we've got not 1850s, 1840s, 1940s, 1970s. And then we cool. have everyone's favorite thing. It's a 1920s uh, ride push toy of a locomotive and this would have been a very special little child's toy to play with. Gary McCoy's guest on this edition of Up In Your Business has been Roy Dudley from Roy Dudley Estates. Hope you enjoyed the program. Here's how you can listen whenever you want to. Listen to all UIYB past and present interviews by going to flagandbanner.com and clicking on radio show or subscribe to our podcasts wherever you like to listen by searching Up In Your Business with Kerry McCoy. Also, you may simply like FlagAndBanner.com's Facebook page to watch our live stream and receive timely notifications of upcoming guests. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to FlagAndBanner.com, select Radio, and choose Today's Guests. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. 